This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. With over 150,000 people from South Asia now calling Washington state home, caste has become a political issue with reports of caste-based discrimination in both the public and private sectors. Seattle City Council member Shama Sawant recently introduced an ordinance that would ban discrimination based on caste. And if passed, Seattle would become the first city in North America to pass such legislation. The council is set to vote on the measure on February 21st. And here to talk about the issue is Raghav Kaushik. He is of the dominant Brahmin caste, and he is a tech worker at Microsoft. Raghav, welcome to you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, so, you know, I mentioned cast in the intro. I'm wondering, can you just give us a broader sense, sort of fill this out a little bit for listeners? What is cast and how does it work? Sure. Um, so caste is a system of oppression that basically divides people into a rigid hierarchy and it's birth-based. Um, and groups which are lower down on the hierarchy, you know, face serious discrimination, uh, oppression, and even violence, right? Um, you know, one term we'll be using, I'll be using, and you might have heard of also for your references, many oppressed caste people refer to themselves as um, the identity of Dalit. And that means uh, those who may have been broken but are resilient. So that's, so a story of caste is both uh, caste itself and the resistance to it, and we'll be talking about both. The caste itself uh, has uh, deep historical roots uh, in South Asian society. Originates about two thousand years ago, um, and it remains pervasive even today. Right? It cut, cuts across religious boundaries. I want to be clear about that. It's not about a single religion. Um, uh, and uh, the, I guess the simplest way for your audience to understand what it is is, in many respects, even the way it operates today is reminiscent of the Jim Crow South. Right? So you have hate crimes like lynching, rapes, and so on that are unfortunately common even today. Right? Um, and uh, the other thing you, your audience should understand is it's a fundamental feature of South Asian society, right? I guess one analogy I can make uh, is with uh, race, uh, racism in America. Um, you know, for example, uh, uh, Indivisibles is well known for opposing Trumpism. Uh, and we all know that if you uh, there is no real analysis of Trumpism without accounting for racism, how that contributes to it. Uh, and, you know, this, the kind of analogies applies to South Asian society too. So in, even in India, for example, there is a right-wing regime. And one of the biggest factors in its rise was casteism, right? Uh, so if you want to understand how that works, you got to grapple with casteism. So I guess my, yeah, so it's a fundamental fault line of the society. Um, so that's caste in the South Asian context, right? When you come right. to America, when people immigrate over here, you know, caste, you know, comes with them. The menace of caste is present here too. Uh, you know, we had this, and that's uh, being discussed in even in American media. So we had an article by professors Paula Chakravarti and Ajanta Subramaniam, um, who wrote in the New York Times that, quote, uh, oppressed caste in the United States are doubly disadvantaged uh, by caste and by race, um, end quote. So we're going to talk about the overt discrimination in a bit, uh, but you know, uh, one one thing I would like to call out is that um, various forms of caste legitimation take place in America, 
especially the name of uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, you know, for example, there's various explicit caste-based groups um, that use the language of culture and say, we're trying to preserve our culture, but that's just code word for, for perpetuating this horrific system. Um, yeah, and there's various other cultural practices like that that uh, is a big part of how caste plays out in America. And, and there's, of course, discrimination too. Well, first and foremost, I want to say thank you so much for providing so much context context, and certainly drawing uh, some, I think, uh, appropriate through lines between uh, how racial discrimination plays out here in the United States as well. I wonder, can you give us some examples of how this caste-based discrimination has played out specifically here in the United States? Sure. So caste discrimination is a, a serious issue in, in America, right? And um, so you have uh, Dalit community members uh, from South Asia and other oppressed caste immigrant community members who face discrimination in the workplace, uh, for example, uh, including in the tech sector. We have data from Equality Labs, one of the groups we are working with on this ordinance, uh, that shows that one in four caste oppressed people face physical and verbal assault. Uh, one in three uh, faced education discrimination, and two in three faced workplace discrimination. And, and a lot of this data is cited. Uh, this, there's been some media coverage of this in the Washington Post and Seattle Times, so you'll see some of this data quoted there. Um, in a public letter published anonymously, 30 Dalit women uh, software engineers documented the caste bias that they had experienced in hiring, in referrals, in peer review. Uh, and the kind of uh, abuse and insults that they faced at, at work. Uh, you know, the workers described the caste discrimination uh, that they faced as, quote, dominant caste locker room culture at its worst, end quote. Um, you, know, you might have heard of the Cisco Cisco case. Um, you know, that's uh, we can talk a little bit about that. The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, you know, they won an appeals court ruling in last year uh, to proceed with a lawsuit uh, against Cisco. And what happened there was that uh, there was a Dalit engineer, one of these cast, uh, one of the caste press, somebody from the caste press community, who claimed that uh, he experienced uh, caste discrimination in the workplace. Um, and and that how did that play out? First of all, that person was outed. Um, that's uh, the closest analogy with you would understand is the notion of closeted, right? So people, especially people who are LGBTQ, for example, are, live a closeted life. And a big part of the way they face oppression is by just someone outing them. And that's what happened to uh, this uh, caste oppressed member. They, they, it was, uh, they were outed by someone from the dominant caste. Can I just and, ask you, uh, as, you're, as you're telling this yeah. story, I, is this something that generally happens that people who are from the Dalit uh, caste uh, tend to hide their their identity then when they come to the United States? Yes, very much. That's one of the ways in which they uh, cope uh, with caste oppression in America. I had a friend who, in fact, he talked about it a little bit and at the press conference of the audience. If you listen to the video, you might see it. He talked about how he had to. Uh, he was he lived a closeted life until until BLM twenty twenty. He got inspired by Black Lives Matter movement to and use that as a moment to come out. Um, yeah, so that is what he says. True, that people do live uh, closeted lives uh, to cope, uh, and they've tried to find non-Indian managers when possible because they face face lesser discrimination that way. That's another coping mechanism. Um, anyway, so in Cisco, this person, uh, you know, they. Uh, 
they face a lot of professional consequences for uh, uh, which were caste discrimination based, right? So they were targeted uh, and denied a bunch of professional opportunities and, uh, you know, such as denies and raises and promotions uh, and all because of uh, the caste background. So, you know, uh, there was some coverage in the New York Times, uh, which described this as, quote, the technology giants, referring to Cisco, got away with uh, ignoring the persistent caste discrimination because American laws don't yet recognize caste discrimination as a valid form of exclusion, end quote. Uh, allowing companies to operate, quote, in willful ignorance of the terrifying realities of caste, end quote. So as I mentioned in the introduction, you are, uh, you're a general manager at Microsoft. You are also of the Brahmin caste. And so uh, I'll just ask you to talk about what you can speak about in terms of what you've seen play out um, professionally in in, in terms of, of caste discrimination. Absolutely. Uh, so before I do that, I just want to tell you that the examples I give you are just examples, right? That's not an exhaustion. Sure, sure. Of course. If you look at the ordinance text, you will see several others, and there's even more uh, beyond that. Uh, so speaking about my background personally, uh, so I, yeah, you're right. I come from a caste privileged background, and uh, so uh, growing up in India, uh, you know that because it was a privileged upbringing, uh, I got a lot of benefits from the caste system in the sense, for example, I got uh, educational opportunities that uh, throughout my life that were brutally denied to caste oppressed people, uh, often by violence, right? And that you know, that happens even today. Um, so I have some familiarity with how the system operates from kind of the insiders, from the oppressor's viewpoint. And I've, and I've witnessed it in America and in, in Microsoft where I work, right? So uh, one of the ways in which this sort of thing comes out is affirmative action. So in 2006, the Indian government, you know, they announced some form of affirmative action to uh, help to help the oppressed caste people. And, you know, that usually triggers a lot of the people in the oppressor side. Uh, affirmative action is a triggering issue, like, like it is in America. So there was a huge, a furious discussion about it in, in Microsoft email threads. And and there were various employees who expressed express outrageous, bigoted comments, right? Like uh, they just mocking caste oppressed people, kind of questioning their intelligence, questioning their merit. Um, and you know, the Microsoft basically shut down that list. Um, so they did that, but I don't think any of the people faced any consequences beyond that, right? There were no noticeable consequences for it. Um, but that's an example of something that I witnessed witnessed in America. Right. Um, yeah. But there is another part of my experience, which I also want to point out, which is the positive thing, which is I'm part of an anti-caste movement. And that's incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. yeah agreed. And, you know, I know that there are uh, some corporations. Amazon comes to mind as, as an organization that has passed anti-caste discrimination um, norms w- within their, their corporate culture. But it doesn't really have teeth that say uh, council member Sawant's ordinance would, would have. And I'll ask you about that in just a moment, but I, I, I'm, I'm curious, and I think a lot of people may be uh, wondering the same thing. And that is, you know, folks from South Asia have been living in the United States and here in Washington for quite some time. Why do you suppose people are raising awareness about this issue right now? I think the short answer is there is a growing anti-caste movement, right? And movement is calling attention to a lot of these issues, which certainly existed in the past. But uh, there wasn't a movement to call out enough attention to it. And right about now, and this has been going on for a while, right? The movement has been building strength over the years. 
Um, and so I can I can tell you a little bit about about our movement because many of the people who have been driving that anti-caste movement are part of our coalition right now. So we are working with uh, these Dalit-led anti-caste groups such as Ambedkar Association of North America, the Ambedkar International Center, uh, Ambedkar King Study Circle, and Equality Labs. Um, and you know, uh, it's not a coincidence that they they all identify in the tradition of Dr. Ambedkar, who you may and your audience may have heard of. Uh, you know, he's the he was the author, main author of the Indian Constitution and the world's perhaps best known anti-caste activist. So they all identify with that tradition. And these groups, uh, even before our ordinance, uh, they have won significant victories. Um, they've won they've won caste protections in various universities like Brandeis, Brown University, and Colby College. And one of the biggest successes last year was California State University, right? Because that's a big university system. The world, uh, the, this country's biggest public uh, public university system, covering twenty three universities. So they won caste protections in all of them. Um, so they've they've been working hard. To building this movement, uh, anti-caste movement over the years, and and now it's kind of reaching a point where it's growing and it's getting uh, so the the fight against caste is growing, and then the movement is growing, which is why we're hearing a lot about uh, these issues because they're getting noticed and they existed even before, but they're getting noticed and there's an advocacy, there's a culture of calling it out uh, in the open uh, now. Uh, so that would, I guess, would be the answer to your question. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like there's a good deal of momentum behind it right now. And as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, this particular ordinance, if passed, would be the very first of its kind in a U.S. city, in a North American city, actually. So let's talk about Councilmember Sawant's ordinance. What specifically would it do? Yeah. So it would comprehensively outlaw caste discrimination, right, in the city of Seattle. So to, let's take a concrete example. We were discussing uh, the Cisco case uh, before, right? So let's say something similar to that happened in the Seattle area that would be deemed illegal by Seattle law. So it would be a straightforward case, right? Um, uh, and, and right now, the California Department of Employment and Housing is trying to fight it by interpreting the Civil Rights Act. So they're trying that. But in Seattle, if the same thing happened in Seattle, because of this law, it would be a straightforward case because it's illegal. But but the law is comprehensive. It, it goes beyond just these kinds of harassment or outing types of cases. It covers all aspects of employment. It covers hiring, it covers promotions, it covers wages. Um, it also covers other things like uh, uh, like housing, right? Housing is a big category which is covered by it. If you're a tenant who's experiencing caste discrimination, that would be illegal under the law. If you're a restaurant who is uh, doing caste discrimination either against your workers or against your customers, um, that would be legal under this law, right? So uh, these are all examples that should give you an intuition for for the kind of thing that this law does. It it is comprehensive about banning caste discrimination in the public and private sector. You mentioned some of the groups that are uh, proponents of this. Are, are they hoping, and are you ultimately hoping that this is going to be something that will be precedent setting that other U.S. cities are going to pass similar legislation? Um, absolutely. Uh, before I answer that question, I do want to point out that uh, those groups, uh, the anti-caste groups, which, which I mentioned, are certainly at the core of our coalition, but our coalition is actually much broader, right? Uh, we have a lot of human rights and non-profit organizations, Amnesty International, there's groups which uh, like tech workers, there's thousands of members of uh, various uh, religions, religious communities, uh, union members, socialists, socialist alternative is, is the core of our leading our struggle. Uh, local service providers like API China, they're all you know endorsing endorsing our work. Um, so that's one thing I didn't want to point out. Um, so the nature of the coalition is 
it's a civil rights issue. So you, uh, it shouldn't surprise you that there's a lot of civil rights groups which are which are backing us. Um, uh, so in terms of the precedents that it will lead to, uh, absolutely, yeah. Our ultimate goal is uh, in America would be a national level law along the same lines. And yeah, we are certainly hoping to get to that by having a similar law passed in other cities and states and so on, and ultimately get into a national law. But you also you also mentioned that this is one of the first in North America. That's an interesting comment. In fact, it's one of the first outside of South Asia in anywhere in the world, as far as I know. Right. So um, there have been a few uh, attempts, maybe at a few in a few other places, but I'm not aware of any law outside of say the South Asia along these lines. So we are hoping for this to set a precedent across the world because. Cost is a global problem, right? So we want we want a global response to it. Well, it does seem like an extraordinary uh, coalition of organizations who are backing this, and uh, it absolutely seems like something that, uh, it, as you say, it's a civil rights issue. Um, and so, what are we asking people to do in support of this ordinance? So I think you mentioned at the beginning of the segment that it's uh, going to vote in Seattle City Council um, uh, on February 21st. So we need everyone's support to email and call Seattle City Council, as well as show up in the Seattle City Hall on the 21st when the ordinance goes to a vote. Um, there is a post attached to the uh, podcast uh, that has detailed instructions uh, for, for all of the above. Uh, you can certainly email City Seattle City Council right now by going to tinyurl.com slash cast ally Seattle. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash cast C-A-S-T-E ally A-L-L-Y Seattle. Uh, and it'll pull up an email in your email client and you can hit send. That's It's as easy as that. So please do that right now. Thank you. And I will mention that Cast Ally Seattle is all lowercase. Uh, Tiny URL is notoriously case sensitive. Also for Take Action oh, Network users. That. Yes, it is. We, we oh, found that man. out the hard way here on the show. So oh, wow. I, I will also mention for Take Action Network users, we have a TAN action also in the show notes for you. Uh, Raghav Kaushik, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for leading the way on this issue. It's very important. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you'd like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.